Well, have a seat. Good morning, Bayou City. Good morning, morning. Hey, well, we have uh, one incredible, well, we have lots of announcements, but this incredible announcement to make. Um, several weeks ago, um, we put before you uh, a person uh, to consider as being an elder here at our Bayou City Tomball campus, um, and that individual was Alan McBrayer. And uh, we gave you a couple weeks to, to um, say all that you thought about Alan. And let me just tell you, you guys have been amazingly positive. Uh, immediately, as soon as we sent that message a couple weeks ago, I was actually on vacation when AK made that announcement. And uh, I wasn't trying to avoid the announcement. I was just on vacation, how, how, this, how it's scheduled and how it landed. Um, and immediately, I got several texts and emails from people saying, um, they were so excited, and the quality of Alan McBrayer um, and, and him being part of that leadership at our Tomball campus, just the honor that it would be to have him here and to continue in, in, or to really step into that new uh, level of leadership. He is our executive pastor, and now he is one of our elders at Bayou Tomball. So we do. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate it. Uh, and he's by Sarah. Tell him congratulations afterward and thank him. And, uh, and then his life gets a lot harder. And uh, not just playing. Absolutely an honor to serve as an elder here. So uh, if you have uh, one, of, one other little announcement I want to give. Um, one of the things that we did um, after uh, several of the, just the, the trials that we've been facing um, in, in terms of um, weather disasters. So like after the snowstorm of 2021, was that that, was that, that time? I, I, I thought, okay, we need to do a better job of being ready when something happens, because it's not about um, if something else might happen, it's just a matter of when. Uh, there was a hurricane, as you know, in Louisiana, and so um, our team, we put together a new team of people to respond to that. So I just wanted to give you a picture. Uh, several folks have sent out a, a last-minute uh, text, and several people sent supplies of gasoline and a generator and, and waters and stuff like that to go uh, bring some supplies to Louisiana. Um, there's continual needs there in Louisiana. So if you want to be a part of helping the people of Louisiana, we are putting teams together to go and help in different ways or maybe just sending supplies. Um, contact Josh Eckert, our outreach pastor. He's also our youth pastor. He wears multiple hats. And, uh, and, and more needs are coming up, and he'll uh, make sure that you are aware and know how we can help in the days to come. So just let you know what your church is a part of. It's very exciting. So with that, uh, if you have a Bible, get to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. We are ending our series in the book of Kings today, and it is Family Sunday. So if you have not been a part of the study of the book of Kings, that's okay. We're going to do a flyover overview. And kids, you are going to love it. You're going to learn about some kings and how they all failed us. Um, we're going to look at some kings, uh, and that will be great. So 2 Chronicles chapter 36, starting in verse 11. It says this, now Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet and spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against, the king, against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against, uh, turning, against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel, and the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord, and they made uh, that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent uh, messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. 
But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. What a happy ending. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you spoke your word through history, through prophets to your people. Thank you that you've recorded your word. And Lord, thank you that we have um, lessons to learn from people of the past. So Lord, I pray that as we open up your word and we look at how you have interacted in history, we might not make the same mistakes of the people of the past, that we would learn and put our hope solely and wholly in you and nothing else, because in you is the real source of hope that we long for. We ask this, as you bless this message, bless our time, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, when I was a kid, I remember the first time I drove to Colorado with my family. I had some cousins that lived there, and we were doing kind of like almost like a family reunion up in Colorado. And, and back in the day, uh, my parents had a station wagon, and there was no seatbelt rules back then. And, uh, and so in part of the back of a station wagon, it's a long vehicle, kids, um, it existed back in the day. You could fold the seats down, and in one area in the back of the car with these loose seatbelt rules, um, I just was laying on my uh, He-Man sleeping bag, uh, just lots of references from the past, um, my, my little sleeping bag in the back, my sisters were in the front seat, and we just got in that car and we started driving to Colorado. And now I had never really been outside of my little area of Katy, Texas. So I'd never experienced really anything outside of that. And I was probably eight or nine years old, and we're making this trip. And we start going through West Texas. And my parents are all excited about us driving through West Texas and little sites that we're going to stop and see in West Texas. And, and West Texas looks like this. I mean, you're going to see a large jackrabbit and just like hope in the distance. That's kind of what West Texas is. I, I had a friend of mine who grew up in Abilene. He's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? West Texas is beautiful. And I was like, it has a certain kind of beauty. A dry, rugged, harsh beauty. Uh, but, but, it, but, but it's there. And we're driving through West Texas. I remember getting to certain points where, where I'm looking for miles and miles for any signs of life. And I don't. I don't see anything. At one point, I do see a jackrabbit. I mean, those large jackrabbits popping along. But everything else was just dry and barren. And, and I remember just asking the, the simple question that every kid asks on a long car ride, and it's this. Are we there yet? How much longer? And, and they're just like, look at the wilderness. And I'm just like, I see it. When are we going to get somewhere else than, than this? And, and, and you've probably been there in life when you're going journey after journey. It's like, when is it going to look different? Mom and dad, when can I do something different? And back in those days, we didn't have, you know, phones that we could like watch movies on. It was just random car games. Hey, let's play the license plate game. Okay. In West Texas. What, what, do you see a license plate? There's no one, there's no one here. There's no license plates to be found. Now, I'm, I'm giving West Texas a hard time. I have lots of friends from West Texas, and I absolutely love them. Abilene's a wonderful town. I'm very, anyway, regardless. But I remember just as a kid going, what are we doing? And finally, we crest along the way, and you see the, the scenery change. Um, it, it becomes more, more scenic, and, and, and what becomes flat begins hitting some, some hills as it starts to climb. And, and you see up ahead of you the beautiful majesty of the mountains. And when you look at it in contrast of, of the rugged, barren terrain and the lush, 
rivers and the beautiful mountain peaks, it, it, it really just causes your eyes to look up. I mean, it's, it's majestic. It's rugged and barren. And then you see the majesty of the mountains and you sit there and you stand in awe. And the reason I tell you that is for this, this reason. I feel like that's what it's like journeying through the book of Kings and Chronicles. There's a lot of rugged, dark terrain. And the purpose of all of that rugged, dark terrain is to give you a picture of a hope that doesn't exist in the circumstances of life, but it looks forward to after these circumstances will play out. It's really a search for the true king, a hope that goes beyond the circumstances of our lives, hope in hard times. And so this morning, I wanted to give us a a picture of hope. How do you find legitimate, real hope in the midst of hard times? Because that's really what the study of Kings has looked like. Now, I looked up a definition of hope for you from from Webster's Dictionary. And hope is described this way uh, in its noun form. It's a desire accompanied by expectation or belief in fulfillment. It's, It's both desire and expectation. It's that desire, something you want to happen. An expectation, I I believe that it will be fulfilled in some way. It's both desire and expectation. Now, the difficulty with with hope in in general American culture is that we hope in everything, and it's not necessarily something we believe will be fulfilled. It's, hey, I hope you have a good day. Well, do you know I'm going to have a good day? No, I have no clue if you're going to have a good day. So the hope is kind of like fleeting, or I I hope this happens, and it becomes a, a fleeting toss into the wind. But that's actually not true biblical hope. Hope in the Bible is a certainty of expectation because you trusting in a source you believe in will carry you through. It's not a blind lobbing of, I hope it ends up this way, how we use it in our culture. But hope in Scripture is certainty based on trust in something, an object, something you believe will actually carry you through. Hope is something that's extremely powerful in your life, and it will carry you through the darkest times of your life. But the question is this, what are you hoping in? What object, what thing do you believe will carry you through the tough times of life? And in the book of, uh, really the book of 2 Kings and Chronicles, what we see are three failed hopes. Hopes that will disappoint. And the, the the thing is this, every one of us is hoping in something. And I believe that if I, if once we look at these three pieces that the nation hoped in, we'll also see that for many of us, we hope in these same things. And if our hopes land in the wrong place, you will be disappointed. And so there is a hope beyond these hopes. So what are the hopes of the nation of Israel? Well, the first hope was this, in the right man. In the right man. That some person would lead us through. See, the, the reason Israel had kings wasn't primarily because God said, you need a, a person, you need a king to lead you. It was actually a request of the people. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, it says, the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel, who was the prophet of God, who spoke the word of God to the people. And they gathered at Ramah, and they said to him, behold, we are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. 
For they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. See, the whole reason we get all of Kings and Chronicles is because of a rejection of the people. They said, I don't want God. What I want is a person. I want a man. I want an individual like all the other nations, a king to lead us into war, a king to lead us into victory. I want the right person to lead us where I want to go. I want a person to lead me through. And that rejection, I want to trust a person, is the first problem that the nation had. And so God gives them their first king. It's Saul. And he was a king that was not after God's heart. He was kind of after his own thing. And it became bad. And then he brought up David, and over time, you see all of these people looking for the king that would save them. You have Saul, you have David, you have Solomon, who was the wealthiest and wisest of all the kings, but he made a train wreck of, of his life, and, you, and the nation becomes divided. And then here's the list of all the kings that followed. If you were wanting to know, here's, here's the, the chart of every king that followed. Um, it's like an eye chart. I wanted to give you an eye chart to look at, test your eyesight. And on the left side, you see all the kings of Israel. The nation was divided. You had a northern kingdom, kingdom and a southern kingdom. The ones on the left are listed all the kings of Israel. Not one of them is described as good. And on the right, you have all the kings of Judah. Four are described as good. Those are the ones highlighted in yellow. And what you see the nation realize over as they're looking for a man to lead them in the right direction is that there's no man that can solve the problems that they have. There's no person that can meet their needs. There's no individual that can make everything all right. And let me just tell you, if you're ever wondering about this, ladies in high school, some of you believe that once you find the right man, everything's going to go all right with you. The only problem you're facing in life is you haven't found the right man. All these high school guys are losers. As soon as I find the right man, then all my life will go all right. Here's all you need to do is to look at the marriage of your parents and the marriage of your parents' friends. And you realize that, that, that a man, your dad's a man. He's not going to solve all your problems. Does your dad solve all your problems? Yeah. That's <laughs> that moment of family honesty. Absolutely. I think it was my children. Absolutely not. No man can solve all your problems. And look, no woman can solve all your problems either. No woman. Ladies, you're amazing. You are a gift of God. You are incredible. You are a amazing amazing quality person but you can't solve all our problems you can't no person can jeremiah 17 5 says this thus says the lord cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the lord you see no person can solve all of our problems no person can can fix all of the issues that our world is facing there is no one that has lived or will live no person, no just man that can solve all the problems. We need something beyond just a man. We'll get to there in a second. The second thing we trust in is this, the right circumstances. We say, no, no, it's, it's not a person. It's just a changing of my circumstances. And so we say this, we say this, okay, God, 
as soon as you make my situation better, then things will go better. So make me a little bit wealthier, and then I'll be happy. Make me a little bit smarter, and then I'll be happy. Put a new person in power. I mean, I don't really leave the person. I just say this person's out of the way, but, but change the circumstance. Give me a new job. Give me a new something to chase after. And the nation, they went from the wealthiest time in their life, but it didn't make them happy, and it didn't make them closer to God under the reign of Solomon. They had the wisest king imaginable under Solomon, and they weren't happy. They weren't brought into wealth and prosperity. They searched after new gods, and all throughout the book of Kings, going from God after God, maybe if I worship this God, then I'll be happy. Then my life will make sense. Maybe if I chase this next thing, maybe if I have a change in my life circumstances, then happiness will find my way. And in culture, they looked and looked and looked, and no change in circumstances changed their destiny. Things were still going bad, even when they had the highest high or even in their lowest low. In the 1830s, uh, a Frenchman named Alex de Tocqueville looked at American culture in the 1830s. And he had this diagnosis of American culture. Men easily attain a certain equality of condition, but they can never attain as much as they desire. It perpetually retires from before them, yet without hiding itself from its sight. And retiring draws them on. And at every moment they think they're about to grasp it, it escapes them at every moment of their hold. They are near enough to see its charms, but too far off to enjoy them. And before they have fully tasted its delights, they die. That is the reason for the strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants of democratic countries in the midst of their abundance. Isn't that fascinating? In the 1830s, he says, that they have all of this wealth, they have all of this potential, but it somehow evades them. They still don't have it, but honestly, in our culture, we're all chasing it. It's a new spouse, it's a new job, it's a new opportunity, it's, it's a little bit more wealth, it's a little bit more this, it's a little more that, and we want it to satisfy the deep longings of our heart and the nation have is chasing and chasing and chasing it but it never satisfied the longings of their heart it will never satisfy you whatever it is that you're chasing freedom a new opportunity a new job a new it it won't ever satisfy you so the first is the right man no the right person can't just find the right person. It's not going to be it. It's not a change in circumstances. We see the nation change in circumstances. They're still lost. Or thirdly, it's the right me. There's a book uh, written several years ago uh, by Andrew Del Banco. Um, it's called A Meditation on Hope. The Real American Dream and Meditation on Hope. And he looks at the nation of America and he says, really, uh, America has, has chased three different um, places to look for hope. God, nation, and thirdly, self. And as they kind of look across American culture, he says there was a period early on in American culture where, where God was kind of that primary thing that the nation chased. They believed, generally speaking, in, in, a, in a religious world. And then that changed to, to hope in nation. 
I was pushed out by the Enlightenment, but that became our nation is where we'll find our hope. Uh, and that, that, that movement of, of once we have a right nation and the right things there, then that's where we're going to find hope. And then it's transitioned from that to self. And one of his conclusions is, is this, that actually a hope in self is, is unstable. And it actually won't satisfy you. A, a new you won't satisfy you either. And we have lots of ways of talking about that hope in self, but uh, one poem called Invictus describes it very well. It's written by uh, William Ernest Henley. He says, out of the night that covers me, black is the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I've never winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And at one level, that poem is inspiring. That, that idea that you can control your own destiny. That idea that you can control your own fate. You are the master of yourself. And, and really, that is, a, that is the, the heart of a lot of American culture. That belief that you can raise yourself up from your bootstraps. The little hard work, a little ingenuity, and you can be all that you can be. You, the, the solution to all of your problems is hard work. It's that Puritan work ethic. You can become all that you desire to be. You are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your soul. There is no one that can deny you. You have the hope to save you. And listen. Students, that is the predominant message of your culture, and that is the predominant message of why you chase fame and have hope to become the TikTok star. It's because you believe that you are the master of your fate, and once you climb that ladder, once you have that success, once you get away from your parents, then you'll have all the hope you long for. You become functionally your own savior. You become functionally your own savior. And that was the real ish issue of Zedekiah, one of the last kings of the nation of Israel. He was 21 years old when he began to reign. How, how funny is that? Because often in our culture, it seems like once you're 21, then you can do whatever you want. You can drink and kind of do whatever you want, right? He was 21 years old when he became king. And he could do whatever he wanted. Verse 12. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, how did he do that? He didn't humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet. See, God spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah spoke uh, into the lives of the last five kings, from Hezekiah all the way to the last king. Jeremiah would speak from God to the king, saying, hey, this is what it looks like to follow God. This is what it looks like to obey. But he wouldn't listen to him. He wouldn't humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke by the mouth of the Lord. And he rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God, and he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. See, here's the things that you see in Zedekiah's life. You first, you see a pride, thinking that he can control the destiny of his life. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
the first thing that you see in, in Zedekiah's life is his pride. And then you see this hardening of his heart. You know what a hard heart is? It means you can't tell me what to do. You can't control me. I can do what I want with my life. And that's a hard heart. And then his third step was a complete rejection of God. God, what you're saying, I don't want to happen. And here's what Jeremiah was saying to Zedekiah. He says, you're going to be taken captive, but God's going to preserve you. He's going to give you food. He's going to care for your life. It's going to be in Babylon. I know you don't want to go to Babylon. It's not home. It's not where you want to be. You're going to be taken from your home. You're going to go to this place. And Zedekiah rejects him over and over and over again, saying, I'm not going to follow you. But the warning came, but the rejection stood. His heart was hard. I believe in me. And so that hard heart caused him to rebel against King Nebuchadnezzar. And the King Nebuchadnezzar came with a strong hand and pulled him off and destroyed his family line. It's a very dark time for Zedekiah and the nation. But God over and over again warned him, warned him, will you come back? Will you come back? Will you have a soft heart? And his defiant answer was no, and he led the nation into no. It says all of the other leaders followed in Zedekiah's path. No, no, no. See, there, there comes a point in every one of our lives when we hear the warnings, and we either hear the warnings or we reject, reject the warnings. Years ago, years ago, there's a story of the boat, the Titanic. And in the boat, the Titanic, um, there was one of the, the presidents of, of the company, the vice president, Philip Franklin, said this, there is no danger that the Titanic will sink. The boat is unsinkable. And nothing but inconvenience will be suffered by the passengers. And, and, and the, the idea of the Titanic becomes, uh, it, it's mythological for us. We're like, okay, yeah, it, it's, I believe that I, nothing will stop me. And so no, I, I believe that, but something happens and they stop. And what's interesting, as I was reading on it um, over the past couple weeks, it says that there were, the ice was, was growing in the, that region of the Atlantic where they were, where they were sailing. And they received no less than six warnings of the coming of the ice that was ahead. Six warnings. You're on a boat. You receive six warnings. Hey, there's ice ahead. Hey, there's ice ahead. Hey, guess what? If you keep doing that, that's not going to end well for you. There's something ahead. There's ice ahead. There's ice ahead. Six times they were warned. But every time the warnings were ignored, ignored and they kept plowing forward. See, the entire book of Kings and the entire book of Chronicles are warnings to the people. Warnings about where you're going to find your hope. Warnings about what you're chasing. Hey, if you keep running from God and living your own life your own way, it's going to end bad for you. And it's not because God is, is mean that he's saying this. It's because he actually loves you. He wants you to know the truth, and he wants you to have hope in things that will last. He wants you to be sturdy when life is uncertain. He wants you to have a certain hope in times of crisis. And so Jeremiah, if you read the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations, also written by Jeremiah, it's a rough read. I mean, he, over and over again, he's like, destruction's coming, it's going to be rough, destruction's coming. It's a rough read. But then you see these little glimmers of hope. 
And Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 31, 11, 17 says, There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. And your children shall come back to their country. He says in the midst of some dark writings, hey, hey, there's a mountain range ahead. In dark times, there is, there is majesty, there is glory, there is way out ahead. I have a future and a hope for you, nation of Israel. In dark times, in the wilderness, Hosea says, uh, it says that he lured him out to the wilderness, to the valley of Achor, the valley, valley of trouble, to provide a door of hope. There is hope, but let me tell you, it's not in, in, the, in the men of this world. It is not in the changing circumstances of your life, and it's not hope in you. There is hope beyond here, and your hope is, first of all, in the promises of God. Your hope is primarily, first, in the promises of God. Jeremiah, in this section, is giving promises. There is hope in the promises of God. In Hebrew, the word hope means this, um, it means to wait, but it describes an, an active waiting. And this was really fascinating to me. In the verb form, it describes a string being stretched in tension. I love that description. It's like a string being stretched in tension. So, so hope means it's going to stretch you. I, it's going to be hard sometimes to hope because it stretches what you want. It's like a string being stretched and, and, and holding you. Now, now, what is the string attached to? That's really, really important. Like, is it, is it going to be attached to something that's going to fail me? Or is it going to be stretched in a, in a way that, that I can look in the darkest cave and see the light of the string as it leads me out? Is it going to be tethered to something I can have hope in? R.C. Sproul writes this, hope is called the anchor of the soul because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not a simply a wish. I wish that such and such would take place. Rather, it latches on to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made. See, that's a hope that's going to be solid. A hope and a future to the promises that God has made. Not the promise of a person. Not the promise of a circumstance. Purpose, a hope, is something that God has set. It's a string, a tension that pulls you and tethers you to the promises of God. So let me ask you this first question. Do you believe in the promises of God? Do you believe that God, what God has said will come to pass? And listen, it didn't happen in a quick time. They went for 70 years into captivity. It's going to be a period of time before they're brought back to the land. But God is faithful, and it's an anchor to our souls. You know what an anchor does to a boat? It holds it to steady to the rock, to steady ground, when the waves are going high. See, an anchor holds you steady when the waves come. The anchor of your life has to be on God and the promises of this God. The second place to have hope is in the God-man, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was not merely a man. Not merely a person who walked earth, although he was. But he was God-man. 
he was eternal God that came historically into human history. He is the God-man Jesus Christ. Tim Keller writes this, true Christ, the true Christian gospel is not that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I'm so, that is this, I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines the swaggering and sniveling. I can't feel superior to anyone. And yet I have also nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself or less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. You see, faith in Jesus Christ is not about pride or arrogance. It's humility. I'm believing in the God-man Jesus Christ to die in my place for our sins. And he is the fulfillment and continues to fulfill the promises of God. See, the promises don't end with the nation returning to the land. God is continuing to give a promise. That he'll wipe away every tear that you shed. He'll repair everything that is broken. And there'll become a great restoration of everything. A new heavens and new earth where everything that is broken will be set right. And Jesus perfectly came, fulfilled punishment of all of our sin and he gives us a living hope through his resurrection from the dead he's our living hope Billy Graham says for the believer there is hope beyond the grave because Jesus Christ has opened the door to heaven for us by his death and resurrection I don't know what you're looking for hope in but there's only one thing that is sure it's Jesus Christ and the promises of God. Corey Tim Boom says this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So let me ask you, do you know Jesus Christ this morning? Not have you heard stories about Jesus Christ. Not have you gone to church. Not do you have a Bible. Not do your parents know Jesus. Here's, I'm asking something really, really intentional, very, very personal. And I don't care what age you are, whether you're two or 102, because it covers everyone in the room. Youth, kids, you can't rely on the faith of your parents. Their knowledge of Jesus isn't yours. So do you know Jesus Christ this morning? Have you put your faith alone in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Is he your hope or something else? For others of us that are closer to 102, what is your real hope in? Is it that things will get better somehow, some way? Is it, is it in Jesus or is it really just in you? Is it in the political climate of the day? Once my person's leading us, then every, then utopia will come. False. False. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. He's your hope. He's mine. Nothing else 
will die for you. Nothing else will save you. Hope in Jesus is the only thing that will carry us through the rugged wilderness of life because he is the majesty that we long to find. We have an opportunity to respond this morning as we do after every service. Our prayer team is coming forward. And I don't know what trial or tragedy you might be facing in this moment. But there's lots of things to be concerned about. Lots of reasons to not have hope. But there is hope. So I would encourage you to give an opportunity to pray with some people. And if maybe there's a burden you're carrying, something that, that, is, that is difficult for you to, to deal with, and, and maybe you find yourself hopeless in this season, well, I encourage you to come up to our prayer team. We want to pray alongside you, help you to know Jesus and give you confidence in whatever it is you're walking through. For others of you, you've never put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. And so this is the opportunity. And you don't have to be a certain age to walk forward. You can be any age and receive the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, hey, let the children come to me. Come on. So put your faith alone in Christ alone. Have you ever done that? And if you're younger and you've never put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, now's the time. You don't need to wait. And you don't even need to ask mom and dad if it's okay. You can believe today. For others of you, there's particular healing that you need in your life. We want to pray for you, whether that's your marriage or physical healing, whatever else. We want to pray for you because there's hope throne of Christ. And that's what we want to leave you this morning with. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we have hope in Christ and nothing else. Thank you that you are the solution our hope longs, our, our desire and heart longs for. You're the hope of the world. Lord, thank you for the book of, of First King, First Second Kings and First Second Chronicles that demonstrate all the ways we look to find hope, but Lord, uh, we are ultimately unsatisfied. So Lord, I pray um, that we would respond to you, that our knees would bow to you. And Lord, we would find our hope in you because you fulfill your promises and you sent the God-man Jesus Christ into human history to begin the healing that our world needs. So Lord, I lift up each person here, the burdens they're carrying, that they would open their hands and find hope in you. Well, let's go ahead and stand together and I would just again invite you to respond and worship through singing, but also if you need some prayer with our prayer team here.
Oh, it's who you are. Oh, it's who you are. Waymaker, miracle work, promise keep, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Yes. It's true. It's true. He is the waymaker. Light in our darkness. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we have uh, an incredible story. And why don't you grab a seat real quick. We have a, a little bit of an um, additional thing for you. And um, I kept my sermon short, so if you could enjoy this additional thing, it's going to be worth it for you. Um, God has been doing incredible things at our church, uh, both our campus here in Tomball, but also our campus um, at Cyprus, at Spring Branch, really one church with three expressions. And, and one of the things that we've been doing is uh, preparing for our 10-year celebration. Uh, Bayou City was started uh, mainly in that kind of Spring Branch area 10 years ago, and God has been good and faithful over the past 10 years. And the reason we're able to gather here today is because of the goodness and faithfulness of God through people over these 10 years. And that's really what we want to celebrate at our 10-year at our um, celebration. But in order to kind of capture that and say, hey, what, what are we a part of as a whole? There's been stories that have been brought from each one of our campuses. Uh, we're going to share a story right now from a family that is part of our community, uh, Stephen Kelly Gallegos, and, and what God has been doing in their midst, in their life. And that's an amazing uh, picture of what God has been doing within them. I do make an appearance in the video, and I'm sorry for that. But I really am thankful for what God has been doing in their midst. So would you watch that video with us? My name is Steve Gallegos, and this is my beautiful wife, Kelly. Lived in uh, New Mexico for 35 years, raised three children there, and moved back to Texas in 2014. I lived here in the Tomball area, um, raising my two boys, and for eight years we decided to be long distance so that we could be dedicated to our children. So in 2014, he was able to move here, and um, we got married after eight years of long distance. It's been going to be seven years in October now. <laughs> I, I want to speak on the word home. We had been looking for a home for a while where we both felt connected and where it was our church together since we were building our new life together and for our family. And the first time that we walked into Bayou City, we, we knew it was home. It felt like home right away. Um, but what we missed for a very long time was that sense of fellowship and friendship. And um, we were meeting outside, and I remember this conversation so clearly, and I'm not sure what I wanted the response to be, but I went up to Kevin and I said, you know, we just don't really feel connected. And again, I'm not sure what I wanted that response from him to be, but he just listened and he affirmed us. And we decided together that we just needed to jump in. Like if we wanted um, to have fellowship and we wanted to have friendship, we had to make the effort. Because we were just kind of like sitting around, I think at that point, once we decided this was home, waiting for it to come to us. For the very first time, I, I went to a men's Bible study here at Bayou City. The last time I had gone to any kind of um, a structured curriculum 
was when I was a child and I was unsure of what to expect with a men's Bible study. I didn't know if I was going to be put on the spot as I had to, you know, recite scripture from memory. Um, that, that, that was not the case. Uh, Jose Hernandez was, was very helpful in welcoming me. Uh, another member of the group in my same age group has had, had also mentioned that it was his very first Bible study also. So it was amazing to, to even think, I, when I look around the room, I always seem to think that everybody's doing a Bible study. And, and you're I, the only I, one that's not. And <laughs> I'm the only one that wasn't and, and come to find out that's not the case. That, that there could be a lot of first timers and I felt welcome, I enjoyed it and I'll, I'll be continuing on in that education. We went, gone through this transition of building our life together, um, having come from, you know, long distance relationship and that we held out for, for a very long time and try to put our family first, and our children first and seek God's will. And God was faithful through all of that. Um, at one point, my husband had lost his job and that was restored after he came here. And God was again, faithful. Then we were searching for a church and we found Bayou City Fellowship and God was faithful. Then we were praying for a friend group. And once again, God was faithful and we found that. And I mentioned earlier that we are going through some difficult times in our family. Um, before COVID, we had a very close-knit family and some things have happened in some of the relationships with our children. And every Sunday that we come to church, I just feel like heaven in that exact moment preaches a word that we need to hear that keeps us going through this situation and keeps us seeking God's faithfulness. We had been praying and praying and praying for God to fix this situation and heal the relationships in our family. Um, and I looked at my husband and said, I mean, God just revealed to me as I sat there that we are praying for the wrong thing. And I told him, I said, we should be praying that our children know Christ and that they turn their heart towards Christ because that's when healing will begin and that's when healing will happen. So we've been able to share that story with that friend group and I know that they are praying alongside us now. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God's goodness, God's faithfulness, uh, it's, we're, we stand in the midst of it. I'm so thankful, and it's an honor to be here, and it's an honor to be a part of what God is doing in our midst. And so I want to give you a personal invitation to come to our 10-year anniversary celebration. Um, it is not going to be here, so next week we are going to be gathering at the Living Word Fellowship. Um, there are details for it. There's going to be a way to get it. If you get our Bi City app, that's the best way to find the exact location and address. If I was to try to give you the address right here in this moment, I would fail. 
uh, but it's going to be next week. And all of our campuses are gathering together for one worship service at 4 p.m. at Living Word Fellowship. And you want to be there. You do not want to miss it. God has been doing incredible things over the past 10 years as part of our body. And what an amazing opportunity next week to all gather together as one voice, as one body, to worship the Lord together, maybe see some folks you've never met before and say, oh my gosh, that's, that's part of our Bayou City family there in Spring Branch. Oh, that's part of our Bayou City family in Cyprus and worship the Lord together. So that is gonna be next week, 4 p.m., no morning services. We're all gonna be there and it's absolutely gonna be amazing. So please make the plans, come there. Obviously kids are, are welcome. There'll be childcare for, for the younger ones, but you're not gonna want to miss it. Um, all the other details of things that are upcoming up at Bayou City Fellowship, get our app but at, uh, at Bayou City Fellowship Tomball. Get our app, uh, download it. You'll have all the details for what's uh, coming up next. we got some women's studies coming up next, a couple other things coming up. So you're going to want to download our app. You'll get all the details for what's coming. But we're so excited to celebrate together next week as one body, praising the goodness and faithfulness of God. Amen? Well, we're going to close together with, a, with, with one more part of a song. So would you all stand together and sing it like you mean it, praising God for what he's done. Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the city. Oh, I 
clap your hands and praise him for that, amen. Well, by you, City Tomball, we love you, man. What a Sunday, amen. Hey, we love you. God bless you. We will see you next Sunday at Living Word Fellowship at 4 p.m. Hey, go in peace. We love you. We'll see you next week. It better.